0: Alright, so uh, if you'd like to join me in scripture, it is Matthew chapter 14, and we will make it through Acts chapter 5, and it's too late to leave, the doors are shut, you can't leave. We're going to go all the way through that today, lots of summarizing though, so um, I want to look at a couple of snapshots. Some of you may remember uh, the Polaroid instant cameras, and some of you may remember this as a kid, Uh, thank you to Grace who has uh, a Polaroid that I could borrow, I don't know that I ever owned one. But man, it was so cool when you went to a weekend at a Friends or maybe there was a party where someone had the Polaroid instant camera because you could see the pictures right then. It was so exciting. It wasn't like take 36 pictures, take it to Walmart, wait a week or 24 hours to have it developed and then see, did my pictures turn out at all? For those of you looking down at your phones, I know you're going to georgetownchristian.org slash events to sign up for VBS and I appreciate you. You also, however, may be looking at your camera roll on your phone uh, because you took screenshots or you took pictures of something that was meaningful to you. And so now, like, whereas just a couple of years ago, uh, we used to put these in the back pocket of our stonewashed jeans or we might stuff a bunch of them in our trapper keeper or put them up in our locker, but they're just like snapshots, just a moment that sort of represents a whole memory. Sometimes one picture for a weekend, the film wasn't cheap, and now we've got 5,000 pictures in our camera roll or maybe five years' worth of photos that represent memories in our camera rolls. I believe it's fair to say that as we think about a biblical author, we remember them only for a snapshot. I'm just going to ask you guys over here. Do you think that's true? Is it just like just a snapshot? Like if I say Peter, do you just think of like Peter walking on the water, right? I I kind of think of them that way. I think of these authors as a single snapshot, and maybe that's not true for everyone, but it's the way that I think if you say Paul, I think of him really as Saul holding the coats while Stephen is stoned, And I think that the more that we could develop that view, the more accurate we might see his writings to us. Because Paul is way more than Saul holding the coats. Paul had a whole life lived after that moment. But we often think of authors as simply a snapshot. I think, and you can tell me if you agree, that as we think about these snapshots, let's say today just of Peter As we think about these snapshots, it begins to shape the way that we see what they're writing to us. It shapes how we hear what they have said in a written letter. And if you don't think it's true, allow me. I'm going to read from this yearbook I found. I'm not going to tell you who this is to or who it's from. We have had quite a year together. I couldn't have made it without you chemistry, algebra, history, computer math, all made some memories. Computer math was definitely the best. I'll miss you over the summer. I have to admit, blah, blah, blah. And then this person goes on about how the hair of this given person is very amazing. Um, So I will let you guys in on a secret. Oh, you can see the handwriting. I'll let you guys in on a secret. That was written by Andrea to me. Now, it wouldn't mean anything if Andrea hadn't dated guys with super amazing hair, but let me tell you, they had some amazing hair. And then she said, My hair was amazing. And oh my gosh, that really meant something, right? Because Andrea had dated some guys with some great hair. And so if she says then that my hair is great, it now matters a lot. There's added credibility for this person who is purporting to be the hair expert, right? I definitely made up the hair part. But if you're still with me, there's added credibility if we know to whom the letter was written or the note or the yearbook, whatever, and who has written that. I believe that it is therefore important that we have a multitude of snapshots of our author Peter. We're going to walk through 1 Peter this summer. Um, I don't know how long it will take. If we get to read every verse, you know, it might take a minute, but we're going to walk through First Peter together. Um, Robin, maybe Matthew. I know Matthew's rather busy this summer, but Robin and I will be walking through First Peter, maybe even Aaron. Aaron's finding out right now. <laughs> what is happening? Did I agree to this? So if you would join me, I'll pray, and then we'll begin in Matthew chapter 14. Heavenly Father, we're gathered as your body, asking that you would transform our hearts and our minds by what only you can do through your word and your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So, to set up our first snapshot of Peter, um, all the apostles just watched Jesus feed 5,000 men, not counting women and children, and he fed it with very few fishes and loaves. And do you remember the apostles' assignment? They had to gather the leftovers. So right on the heels of that, Jesus goes up the mountain to pray. He sends the apostles out on the sea in a boat, not like Memorial Day. This is the end of the day. There's a lot of wind. There's big waves. You can look at different gospel accounts to see that it's even it's called a storm. Matthew doesn't give us that detail. We don't slight him for it. But we join him there in Matthew chapter 27. And I'm reading, But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Our first snapshot of Peter, Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Ain't nobody going to see that at the lake tomorrow, are they? Ain't going to happen. This, therefore, is my very favorite snapshot of Peter. And the truth of the matter is, when I was a child, my mom or dad or whoever was home at the time would offer to read me a bedtime story. And it was always, Jesus walked on the water every single time. I mean, probably till I was 10 or something. I don't know how old really, but we wore out the binding on the book. We duct taped it. We wore out the duct tape. I just, I loved that story of Peter. So that's my snapshot. That's how I see Peter when I think of reading the book of First Peter, I think, oh yeah, Peter that walked on the water. That is the way that I see him. And I'm arguing that it's important that I, along with you, have a more multifaceted view of the author, Peter. So we want to see myriad snapshots. Let's, let's spread all of these, these Polaroids. Let's just spread them out on the table so that we have a whole view of Peter. So we'll just continue reading. Here's another snapshot. But when he saw the wind he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? So snapshot number two of Peter looks considerably less impressive. It causes me to pause and say, what kind of credibility then would our author Peter have? And of course, you're all saying, well, dude, he's an apostle. Okay agree. He's an apostle. He has all the credibility he needs. It's an authoritative and inspired book of the Bible. Also, all the credibility he needs. But imagine being the first recipient of his letter and you hear he's an apostle. In fact, in his letter he says, I'm an apostle. All right, I should probably listen. But what what was this guy's life like? What all did this guy do in his life? How was his following Of Jesus. Now he's going to tell us to trust Jesus. How did trusting go on the waters, Peter? How did that go? So, in Matthew chapter 16, I'm moving forward just a little to another snapshot. We see that Peter confesses the same confession that we make right here before we go join Jesus in the death and resurrection baptism waters. We say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son, say it with me, the Son of the living God. And so, Peter answers Jesus' question and says, you're the Messiah, you're the Anointed One, you're also the Son of God. Okay, that sets up Peter's next problem. This is another snapshot of Peter. I'm in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, Be raised. Here's your snapshot, verse twenty-two. And Peter took him aside, and began to rebuke him, saying, "Far be it from you, Lord! This shall never happen to you." In verse twenty-three, I think this may be a snapshot for some of you. But he turned and said to Peter, "Get behind me, Satan! You're a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things." of man. So as we evaluate this author who's going to speak into our lives all summer, let's recognize that one of the snapshots is Peter being literally in the way of Jesus and being called Satan. There's a lot of ways you can see that. There's a lot of ways that we can see that he confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and then he's immediately in the way. One of the ways I see it is how quickly do my priorities get out of order? How quickly does my agenda come into conflict with the purposes and the plans of God? Do our goals align? Do I want to listen to a guy who got it wrong like me? Let's continue our pulling out of snapshots. After promising Jesus that he will never fall away. And you can fast forward just a little bit in your Bibles there to Matthew chapter 26. I'm going to be summarizing, but if you want to follow along, I'm summarizing like right after the Lord's Supper, okay? They've reclined and they've eaten and Jesus said, one of you will betray me tonight. And Peter, oh, not I, right? Peter is just so sure it's not going to be him. And Jesus says, yes, actually three times. So this is Peter's trifecta of failure. So join me in Matthew chapter 26, Peter's trifecta of failure. Um, uh, Our very first snapshot of Peter's failure will be in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's got teammates to fail along with him. It's Peter, James, and John, and they all go with Jesus into the Garden, and they're going to what? What are they going to do? They're going to pray, right? Jesus goes a little farther into the garden, and he's praying, and he tells them to stay here and keep watch. In case they're unclear, he comes back while they're asleep, failure, and says, hey guys, uh, pray. Okay, please pray. Goes back, and Jesus is praying again. He comes back. They're asleep again. Jesus goes back and prays. He comes back, and the third time he says, look guys, my betrayer is here. So they get up, and they leave there. That's after three failures of falling asleep, Then we move on to where Jesus is arrested by the temple guard and his apostles are there alongside him. And what is Peter's response when Malchus, the servant of the high priest, comes to try to arrest Jesus? He draws his sword and then go, right? He chops off his ear. And that's another failure on Peter's part because Jesus says then, like, Peter, I could just pray, and God would send down legions of angels who could do way more than chop off an ear, dude. Like, put the sword away. Again, Peter's agenda, Peter's purpose is against that of God, and it may be that Peter's intention was good, but man, was his purpose, his alignment, his agenda was all out of whack with what Jesus was trying to do so to complete the trifecta then, I think most of you know the rest of the story. The disciples all desert Jesus and Jesus is taken into custody by the temple guard and over the course of the evening, Jesus mock trials all the while Peter following at a distance is denying and denying and denying that he knows Jesus at all. So in our journey to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. What kind of a guide, what kind of a person who knows the ropes, they know the path, they've walked the steps to becoming a fully devoted follower of Christ. If I were going to get uh, surfing lessons, I would not go ask a Himalayan Sherpa right? Like wrong expertise, obviously. If I were going to get cooking advice and the person who began to give me cooking advice could not answer the simple question, which is your favorite burner on the stove? Do you want advice from them? I do not. If you don't have a favorite pot and a favorite spatula and a favorite spot on the stove, I don't think I want to listen to you tell me how to cook, although I probably could learn from you. I do not want to take advice on how to drive from someone whose car has been impounded. I do not need that kind of advice. I have plenty of my own driving habits. We need a trusted guide. We need a person who has, who has been there. We don't need to see like this colossal apostle, the superhero of the faith. We don't need someone who's just perfect in every way, someone who knows nothing about what it's like to struggle with our agenda clashing with that of the Lord's. We don't we, don't, we do need someone, however, who has, who has had the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit supernaturally transform their lives. We, we have to have that. We are not going to become disciples without that supernatural indwelling of the Holy Spirit transforming our hearts and lives. So we need someone that we can relate to. And I wonder if a few more snapshots might more clearly and completely develop our portraits, our snapshots of Peter. And now I'm going to ask you, you to be the judge. Is, Is Peter the kind of guy, of course, authority, inspiration of scripture? Obviously, we're going to let Peter speak into our lives. But as a dude who has been through it, like you and I are going to go through it, like we have been through it. We need a dude who's been here before he was here, and he got here by no power of his own, by simply obeying and being indwelled by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm starting in Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 1, just a little background, the, the ascension has happened, and the apostles are all gathered, and this is Luke who's writing So in Acts chapter 1, uh, ascension has happened. Apostles are gathered, of course, missing Judas. And they have to select a new apostle. Now, who does Luke mention first? In your text, Acts chapter 1, verse 13, who does Luke mention first? And you may say, that really has no bearing. Okay, let's go on to Acts chapter 2. Now, in Acts chapter 2... We have the coming of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church. It's Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes down like tongues of fire. There's a ton of confusion. There's astonishment. You can see here in your own text, there's astonishment. There's accusation to the apostles that these guys are drunk on new wine. And who is it then that stands up and speaks on behalf of Jesus? Say it if you know it. It's Peter, isn't it? It's Peter. Peter. So Peter then, in two different situations, appears to be kind of viewed as a leader, at least by Luke, who was one of our 12. So Peter, in his message in Acts chapter 2, Peter doesn't say, hey guys, I've been a big mess up in my life, and I just want to tell you, Jesus is going to make everything okay. No, Peter instead goes, you murdered Jesus. It was you. You killed him. Peter goes on to just tell them, you killed Jesus. Now, how did it feel when I was yelling at you? Like, oh my gosh, you're the murderer. You're the one that crucified him. Imagine that. That's Peter in the temple telling all of these Jews that they're the murderers of Jesus. But the scripture says they were cut to the heart. Like, almost as if the power of the Holy Spirit was at work in his life, doing something supernatural, because then those people don't have any more questions, but what are we supposed to do? And somebody has to share with them what it's like to be forgiven. Somebody who might know what it's like to be forgiven shares with these people how they can now be forgiven. So join me in Acts chapter 3. I'm looking specifically at verses 11 and 12 and to give you a quick summary there, disciples are moving through Jerusalem, temple court, Solomon's portico, and they see a lame man, and he's healed. And now we read in verse 11, while he clung, this is the lame man, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's, and then Peter saw it, And he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? Again, Peter takes the opportunity by the healing that the Lord does to them to say, Jesus is the answer to what you're looking for. You need to be looking at Jesus. Now, follow me to Acts chapter 5, and I'm going to do a lot of summarizing, but I'm going to Acts chapter 5, verse 40. And in the interim they're just going from the healing of the lame man, now Peter and all the apostles are consistently in the temple courts, consistently sharing the good news, the life-changing good news of Jesus. In the temple courts, the high priests have had enough. The Sadducees, the temple guard, they're, they're done with all of this because they're over here trying to have their Jewish religion. And Peter and the apostles keep sharing the good news of Jesus, which isn't necessarily what they're here for, right? That's not what the high priest is here for. So they give them a warning. And then in Acts chapter 5, they're back doing it some more, day after day. And instead of a warning, now they put them in jail for it. And while they're in jail, God miraculously takes them out of jail and says, hey, go back to the place you were just jailed for preaching. Go back there and preach more. And what do they do? You can look at your Bibles. They go back there and they preach more. So I'm going to pick up in Acts chapter 5, verse 40. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now, before we go on to the next verse, some of you are cheating, you're looking ahead how would you be responding if this happened to you? I'm going to tell you this week, I have personally got some work on how well I suffered to do. I did not suffer as a result of any kind of persecution, but just as a result of being like a disciple of Jesus, I suffered, and I was a whiner. Like, I just didn't suffer in a way that was like bringing glory to Jesus, okay? So uh, think about now how you suffer, and then let's read about how Peter and the apostles suffered, and this is This is in verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. In chapter four, I'm sorry, chapter five, verse 42. And every day in the temple still and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They rejoiced and they kept doing it. Friends, I'm wondering if we might find that our snapshot table could have more than just a picture of Peter walking on the water or failing to pray or chopping off Malchus' ear or denying Jesus, but if there might also be room on this table or this billboard of snapshots of the life of Peter, if we can instead of just like a single snapshot that we kind of carry in our pocket, could we possibly have more of an iPhone view of life where you've got this myriad of pictures to scroll through and you can see all of these moments of the life of Peter to ask the question... Is this the kind of guide we want us to be led by as we ask the question, how do we become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ? Because if we're seeking a way to be transformed, we need someone who has been where we are. We need someone who has been transformed from where we are to a place that is pleasing to God. So is it fair to ask Peter to be our guide. Of the snapshots that are laying on this table or are pinned up to this cork board, we've got, we've got a lot of failure. We have wrong priorities. We have agendas that clash with the agendas of God. We have <laughs> I'm chopping off people's ear. <laughs> um, we, we have denials. We have desertion. We have fear. We have, at its root, a lot of self preservation. We have a lot of what about my life? How can I save my life? We have a lot of other snapshots as well. We have jail time. We have flogging. We have healing we have snapshots of a person whose life was transformed by the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. The author of 1 Peter, Peter the Apostle, is one who, just like you and just like me, has failed Jesus at the most critical juncture of his ministry and has also shared the good news with people who don't have hope. Would you bow your heads as, as I pray? Father, today some of us need to take a step of faith, maybe a step to say, Lord, I don't have the power of the Holy Spirit at work anywhere in my life, and I need that because I want to be who you want me to be. We have a next steps booth in the lobby and I invite you to join us there as we together seek that boldness. Maybe it's going to be through information about a life group or maybe information about an elective or maybe information about how you might join the men who or women who point each other to Jesus every week. Father, I'm, I'm praying that you'd be working in each of our hearts in a way that helps transform us as you transformed Peter, from someone who is focused on self-preservation, someone who's worried about what others think, someone who tries to save our own lives, but then someone who becomes a conduit for the good news, someone who speaks boldly, someone who heals others, someone who has clearly and so evidently filled with your Holy Spirit that they become an image bearer of Christ, an ambassador for Christ. They become a living hope to people who don't have hope. Father, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit at work in our lives, make us like one who shares that good news, one who has that hope, one who carries that promise in our everyday lives. Father, I pray that you would make that transformation true in each of our lives as we obey you. We pray this in Jesus' name.